Welcome to an inspirational Sunday message from Found Church. We hope you will be challenged and encouraged while listening to this message. For more information, or if you'd like to contact us, please visit our church website, foundchurch.co.uk, or you can also find us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Just seems to have flown past, and if my calculations were correct, I think it's only 22 sleeps until Christmas Day itself, parents, 22 sleeps, just saying, you got 22 sleeps to get my present, that'd be good. Um, but our Christmas theme this year is called The Invitation, and this is based on John chapter 1 verse 12, and it says there, yet to all who received him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. And I think that is one of the greatest invitations in the whole of Scripture, that we have the invite to become and become children of God. That is better than any other invitation we will receive in our lifetime. And the Christmas story, when you look at it, is full of invitations. There was invites given to Mary, invites given to Zechariah, to the angels, to to Joseph, to the shepherds, to the wise men, and many more. The whole Christmas story is full of invitations, invitations to you and invitations to me. So I want to kick off our Christmas uh, theme this year with a message that is entitled simply, The Invitation to Seek Jesus. The Invitation to Seek Jesus. If you have your Bible handy, your phone, your iPad, whatever it is, turn with me to Luke chapter 2 and I want to read from verse 8 through to verse 18. It will also be up on the screen. So Luke chapter 2 starting at verse 8. And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone all around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. Suddenly a great company of the the heavenly host appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest heaven, and on earth peace to those on whom his favor rests. When the angels had left them and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. So they hurried off and found Mary and Joseph and the baby, who was lying in the manger. When they had seen him, they spread the word concerning what had been told them about this child. And all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds said to them. Amen. I mean, you know, I was growing up, I had this image of the shepherds as being gentle people, living an idyllic lifestyle on the hillside, singing sweet songs by the campfire. But the reality is, though, shepherding in that time was a despised occupation. The picture of shepherds in the field getting ready to hear the angels sing evokes evokes this positive kind of pastoral image for us when we think about that picture. It reminds us of Jesus' association with the line of David and David being a shepherd. See, in the first century, shepherds were generally looked upon as being lazy, dishonest, people who grazed their flocks on other people's lands. They weren't by any stretch of the imagination, those pleasant hallmark faces that we're used to seeing on Christmas cards at this time of year. 
And we have sentimentalized them so on our Christmas castle they look like gentle people waiting to go to some sort of family reunion. But no picture is further from reality than what we see on our Christmas cards. Did you notice to whom the angels first go to share their news? Who did the angels tell first? The shepherds. And I think about that and I think, that is strange. I would want the, the, the angels to go and do something widescreen, to go and do something high definition. If it was me, I would want them to go shouting from the mountaintops and parading along the streets of Jerusalem, shouting, wake up and hear this. Wake up and hear this news. The angels should have gone to the temple to tell the religious leaders what was going on. They should have gone to the governor and let him know that something awesome was happening that very day in Bethlehem. They should have gone to Herod. After all, he was the current king of Judea. They should have gone and told him that God was doing a great thing in Bethlehem and that the king of, the king, the king of kings had been born that very, <coughs> that very day. See, when God, Moses was born, God delivered him straight to the top, right to Pharaoh. But the angels... Instead of telling somebody important, they announced the Messiah's birth to a ragtag bunch of shepherds. That's not what we would tell them to do. That's not what we would have done. But that is the way that God wanted it. And I wonder, have you ever wondered why God wanted it to be like that? I think there's a few reasons from that text we just read from Luke as to why it's like that. Why they came and announced to the shepherds first. Firstly, he came because of them. He came because of the shepherds. See, in Luke's account, we discover the heart of God and the meaning of the birth of this child. Here's a great picture of Jesus. One sent to the lowly, one sent to the outcast. In this picture, we are reminded that Jesus came for people just like the shepherds. The shepherds, not the religious elite, the political, politically savvy or the rulers of the people, become the metaphor for the kind of people that Jesus came to save. The shepherds, they're the metaphor for the kind of people that Jesus came to save. Just listen to the power of the text from, from verse 8 through 11. It says, and, and there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Today in the town of David, a saviour has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. The angels came to the shepherds. People who were doing what they did every single day and every single night. People going through the routineness of life. People living their ordinary lives. Isn't that what the birth of Jesus is all about? It's about God meeting us. Not on the high holy days, but on ordinary days, in ordinary places, in an extraordinary way. The birth of this child is about God coming to us in our everyday lives and saying to us, do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. It's about God meeting us in our pain and meeting us in our loneliness. It's about God meeting us in our frustration and our anger. It's about God meeting us on a Monday and a Wednesday and a Friday and every other day in between. It's about God wanting to be part of our lives each and every single day. I think that's why God sent the angel to the shepherds. To let us know that this child was for all people, even the most ordinary people. 
Let me tell you a story about a guy. His name was Bill. Bill, this guy had wild hair. He wore a t-shirt with holes in it. Jeans that had even more holes in it. And so uh, shoes with no socks on. And that was his wardrobe for four years of university. Louis was merely eccentric. Bill was a, an, a brilliant person. And he became a Christian whilst attending CU, Christian Union, uh, at university with his friend. But right across from the flat that he lived was this really traditional church. They wanted to develop a ministry to students, but they were not too sure how to go about it. So one day, Bill woke up one Sunday and decided he would go and visit this church. He walked in with his wild hair, his t-shirt with holes in it, his jeans with even more holes in it, and shoes with no socks. But the service had already started. And Bill started down the aisle looking for a seat, but the church was absolutely full. By now, the people in the church were starting to get a little bit uncomfortable, but no one dared say anything. Bill got closer and closer to the front, and he realized there was no seats left. So what did they do? He just sat down right in the middle on the floor. This was perfectly acceptable behavior at his CU group, but this had never ever happened before in this church. By now the people were really uptight, they were getting uptight in the tension and the air was starting to get thick. And an elder, a leader of the church, slowly started making his way towards Bill. The leader was in his 80s, he was a distinguished man, he had silver grey hair and a three-piece suit and he walked with a walking stick. Everyone thought, you can't blame him for what he's going to do. How could you expect a man of his age and background to understand some student like Bill thinking that he can worship sitting on the floor in the middle of the church? And it took a long time. This is no Michael I'm describing, by the way, with sleepy suit. <laughs> no, yeah, another 20 years maybe, Michael. Thank you, Stephen. That's good. See, it took time for the man to reach the boy. And the church became utterly silent except for the clicking of that man's stick on the floor. All eyes were focused in on Michael as he walked with his stick <laughs> towards Bill. And when he got up to, the, to Bill, he dropped his stick to the floor. And with great difficulty, so it's not Michael, he lowered himself to Bill and he simply said to him, May I sit with you? The man sat down next to Bill and worshipped with him. Why? So that he wouldn't be alone. That's what the birth of Jesus means. Radical action, radical behaviour, radical gospel, radical saviour, radical God. That's what the birth of Jesus means. Secondly, the shepherds are in shock. You can only imagine the first reaction of the shepherds. They would be scared to death. They understood the appearance of angels as an omen, as though God were bringing his wrath upon them. But to allay their fears, the angel said to them, Do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Today, in the town of David, a saviour has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. And with that, the heavens opened with glorious music. The heavenly chorus praised God and said, Glory to God in the highest heaven, and on earth peace to those on whom his favor rests. See, in the midst of an ordinary night, ordinary shepherds encountered 
an extraordinary God. The shepherds must have been surprised that God broke into their ordinary lives. But for us, Jesus sometimes breaks into our lives when we least expect it. And you know, there's twice in my life before I gave my life to Jesus where I encountered God and twice he spoke to me audibly, twice. One time, I'll share often as I share my testimony. The other one I don't really talk about very much because it's really difficult and hard for me to speak about that time. But I'm going to share a little bit about that just now. And I remember when I was moving from first year to second year in high school, um, <clears throat> we had a real tragic accident in our family where one of my family members who was a few years younger than me drowned in the River Carn. And I witnessed that happening in that moment. And in that moment, as I tried to help him, then I nearly drowned. If it wasn't for the farmer in the field pulling me out of the water, then I would have drowned alongside him. And this whole incident caused lots of fallout within my extended family. Understandably, my auntie was obviously devastated at the loss of her son, my cousin. But then she took, she blamed me a little bit because I was the one who survived. So I took a big brunt off the blame. And it caused a whole fallout within our family. And it wasn't a memorable summer in the slightest for us as a family. And I remember after summer had finished and been at school and I can remember feeling lonely and feeling dejected and unsure of the future. And I can remember clearly where I was sitting, just around the corner from mum and dad's house, sitting on these steps outside this day. And I was sitting there alone, upset, scared, worried. And that was the first time in my life that I ever felt the presence of God right there. And the first time I ever heard the audible voice of God speaking to me in that moment. Let me tell you, I had no idea who or what it was. But let me tell you, it was so reassuring. It was so comforting. And it was so filled with hope for the future. As God spoke to me and met me right where I was in that moment. Hope came in, the words, came in the words of Jesus who promised me in that moment that I will never leave you nor forsake you. God met the shepherds when and where they least expected to be met. After all, that's what the birth of Jesus means. And then thirdly, the third thing I see in this story is that sometimes seeing is believing. And the heavenly chorus sang glory to God. See, after this powerful display of praise, the shepherds just had to see for themselves. So what did they do? They ran off to Bethlehem to experience what the angels had told them from verse 16. So they hurried off and found Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in the manger. When they had seen him, they spread the word concerning what had been told them about this child. And all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds said to them. See, when God offers grace, the appropriate response is exuberant joy. That is always the most appropriate response. Eventually, the whole world would celebrate the coming of this child. But for now, only the shepherds knew what had happened in Bethlehem. The result was the response that should arise from all of God's people. In verse 20, the shepherds returned to their flocks, doing what? Glorifying and praising God. See, let me tell you today, that invitation to, to find Jesus, to seek Jesus, is just as real for us today as it was for those shepherds. But I like the shepherds though, we don't have to go to Bethlehem to find them. We don't have to go to Bethlehem to seek him. 
We can meet with him and encounter him each and every single day of our lives. Sometimes I think the problem is that we read Luke's account and we're filled with wonder. We expect something miraculous. We expect the amazement to continue. We want the mystery of the moment to continue because if we're really honest with ourselves, we long for something amazing in our lives. But our routines are so predictable and harried. Our schedules are so frantic and programmed. Our children are so busy with schoolwork, school activities, sports, church. Our days are so packed with stuff that I wonder if we really allow ourselves time to live. Yet as we hear the angels singing and the shepherds hurrying and Mary pondering, we feel we may just find a little time for wonder. But yet again, we're struck by the routineness of life and the normal, normalness of it all. We have come from the angels singing glory to God to the daily ticking of the clock. But the challenge for us is always to find ways of celebrating the presence of God in the ordinary moments of everyday life, the smile of a friend, the sharing of a meal, the beauty of good music. And when the shepherds have seen Jesus, their whole world was turned upside down. And Jesus can turn your whole world upside down also. We have the same invitation to find, the same invitation to go and seek after Jesus. And let me tell you, it's not really hard to find. He is not hard to find. Jeremiah 29 verse 13 says, You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all of your heart. But what does seeking Jesus mean? And why does it really matter? See, seeking Jesus and making him the number one priority in your life, God gives us an open invitation to an amazing relationship with him. And in his fatherly love, he gives us a choice to accept the invitation or refuse it. And that is what's known as free will. His door is wide open. And it's up to us to choose whether we enter in or not. And as Christians, especially if you've been a Christian a long time, you might be tempted to gloss over this invitation and assume that you're already seeking him. Because, why? Because we love him and we generally follow the commandments that he gives us. But there's so much more to seeking Jesus. And the Bible repeatedly mentions uh, seeking God and the joy that it brings. And a few Deuteronomy 4.29, 1 Chronicles 16.10, 1 Chronicles 22.19 and more. I would read them, but I've not got enough time. But what does seeking Jesus mean? Seeking Jesus is about pursuing that relationship with him. If we are a Christian, we can get lulled into being satisfied with our relationship with God. Seeking means actively pursuing more. And we can use human relationships as an example to demonstrate the concept that I'm talking about today. So let's com- compare a hypothetical relationship with a son's hypothetical relationship with his mum compared to his sister's hypothetical relationship with their mum. See, the son and the daughter, they both love their mum. But the son, the son calls her every few weeks. He sends her flowers on Mother's Day. He visits her over Christmas and Easter. He takes her out for lunch on her birthday. He's a good son and he feels like he's got a good relationship with his mum. But his sister, his sister, she checks in with her mum every few days. She attends church with her mum. She holidays with her mum. She brings coffees and donuts to her for their Saturday chats. She takes time out of her work to drive her mum to the scary doctor's appointments, even when she says she doesn't need her to come with her. She sends her mum silly texts. So let me ask you, which one would like to feel closer to their mum? Which one of them will really know her better? 
which one might feel more connected and fulfilled in their relationship with their mum. The son rests easy in his relationship with his mum, but the sister, she's actively uh, nurtures that relationship with her mum. She is seeking after it. See, we reap what we sow in any relationship, and it's no different with a relationship with God. See, as Christians, we love God, and maybe we spend the final waking moments or minutes of our day in prayer. Maybe we go to church. We mostly obey the commandments. God loves us and we love him. But when we seek him, we nurture that relationship. We don't say prayers by rote. We feel and mean every single word. Praying from the heart, speaking the words to him. We don't plan our shopping list or meal for the week. During the sermon, we actively listen. We make time for God, praying without ceasing. This means all the way throughout the day, we fill our schedules around him. We don't try and squeeze him into our schedules. We make time to be still and listen. We meet him in the silence. We read his word. We make God the priority that he should be in our lives. See, the more that we seek him, the more that we come to know his voice. Does that, does that mean that Jesus loves those who seek him more? More than those who don't seek after him every day? No. Jesus is by our side no matter if we have our hearts and minds focused him on him or not. But the only difference is when we seek him, we hear and see what we'd previously been oblivious to see in our lives. Seeking opens the door to a more beautiful relationship and it brings Jesus' happiness also. He is waiting for each of us just beyond human comprehension. Open your mind and open your heart and find him there. But the question is, so how do we actually go about it? How do we seek God with our whole heart? Have you ever prayed in desperation for a miracle? Seeking Jesus has that type of urgency, power, and relentlessness. The longing to really know Jesus comes from our deepest being. Seeking Jesus is a journey into your heart and a journey into your soul. It's nothing about the pomp and circumstance that comes with showing up or showing the world what a great Christian you are. It's nothing to do with that. Just like there's no exact, exact script for seeking a deep, deeper relationship with your mum or someone else in your life, we choose the ways that make sense for us when we seek Jesus. It's not a formula for growing, growing closer to Jesus. But let me just give you quickly some ways that you can seek after Jesus. And when you do that, I do these things, they might help you also because they help me. Start, start with these things and then grow from there. So firstly, the first thing I would encourage you to do to seek after Jesus more is to open up your heart to him. 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 13 says, As a fair exchange, I speak as to my children. Open wide your hearts also. See, seeking is an exercise of the heart. There are almost no external signs when you're seeking. Close your eyes and rest quietly in a peaceful place in your mind's eye. Welcome God to join you there. Feel him there. See him there. Go deep inside and have a beautiful union with God in your heart. Don't fit God into your schedule. Schedule your time around God. Secondly, I would encourage you to pray without ceasing. First Thessalonians 5.17 simply says, pray continually. When you seek God, he is your first priority. 
You don't fit your prayer into your day. You fit your day around your prayers. He's the first thought of the day, comes to mind throughout your day, and will be your companion during those waking hours in the middle of the night. Prayers are spoken from the heart directly to God. Imagine speaking the prayers as if you're right in front of you, directly to Him. And if you find yourself saying words without the meaning behind them, keep repeating them until you've spoken the prayer right from your heart. Not just by rote and just saying them because you want to say them. Talk to God as if He's your best friend who happens to live in your street. That's the kind of relationship you can have with God. So be, open your heart up to Him. Pray without ceasing. And thirdly, can I encourage you to be still? Psalm 46 verse 10 says, He says, be still and know that I am God. It's in the stillness that Jesus meets us when we seek after him. Make sure you give God a chance to answer you, to direct you, and to, to guide you. He presents himself in the stillness. Can I encourage you to be intentional about being still? It's so countercultural to today when we're all over the place, trying to cram everything into our, our day. But find a way to get close to God in your mind and in your heart. Speak to him and honor him and ask him to join you and to guide you. Then just stay still in that moment. Stay still in that moment. And if your mind drifts to your to-do lists or your what time you need to pick up your kids, pull it back and bring God back to the center. Don't be discouraged or stop seeking if you don't get answers or keep getting distracted. Just know that he loves you and he's waiting there for you to meet you in that stillness. And then number four, it should be number one really, but read your Bible. Read your Bible. Isaiah 8 and 20 says, Consult God's instruction and the testimony of warning. If anyone does not speak according to this word, they have no light of dawn. See, the Bible was written to guide us and to help us to know Him. Can I encourage you to use it, to seek Him? Let me ask you a question, and I want you to be 100% honest in the answer you give to this question. I want you to put your hand up if you have read this book the Bible, from cover to cover. Every single word, every single chapter, every single page. Put your hand up if you've done that. If you've not put your hand up, don't feel guilty. Not just yet. But just imagine in your life, though, you get to heaven, and there's Peter waiting for you, and he, oh, so good to see you here. I'm so glad you're here. We've been expecting you here. Why don't you come over here? I want you to introduce you to my pal, Obadiah. And you meet Obadiah, and Obadiah says to you, oh, so good to meet you. How did you like my book? And you look at him, and you're like, book? What book? What book is that? And Obadiah says to his pal, Zephaniah, is like, hey, Zephaniah, meet this guy. He's never read my book. And Zephaniah says to him, oh, but that's because your book is not as good as my book. And Zephaniah looks at you and says, how did you like my book? Sure, it was better than his book. And you look back and say, you wrote a book as well? Let me tell you, don't embarrass yourself. Don't be in that situation when you get to heaven. This book, the Bible, is the most reliable data that we have about God. Read it. Read it. He gave it to us as a gift. Don't neglect it. Don't neglect it. You'll encounter Jesus as you open up these pages in this book. If you want to seek Jesus, get stuck into reading his word. It never, ever disappoints. Never. And the people that I've met, and they're, they're, I'm praying, I wish God would speak to me, and I'm like, you read your Bible today? 
No, read your Bible. God will speak to you. Like, don't embarrass yourself when you get to, to heaven and you meet Obadiah and you meet Zephaniah and you're like, oh, you wrote a book? And then lastly, number five, find community and worship. Jesus says in Matthew 18.20, For where two or three are gathered in my name, there am I with them. A community can mean church, but it can be any community of Christians. Seeking takes place in the heart, so it seems illogical that seeking would involve a community. But community matters in seeking because it helps us with accountability. Also, the fellowship and the music that generally accompany the Christian community can help us. It can help give us the motivation we need to keep on seeking after Jesus. When we come and worship, we're not just coming and singing songs. We're coming to encounter Jesus as we worship him in that moment. So if you're seeking a greater, deeper, more intimate relationship with Jesus, then I encourage you to start doing those five things and the band can come. Now, firstly, open your heart. Secondly, pray without ceasing. Thirdly, be still and know that he is God. Just be still. Fourthly, read your Bible. Read your Bible. Fifthly, find... Thank you for listening. We hope you've been challenged and inspired. Please feel free to contact us through our website, foundchurch.co.uk or you can also find us on Facebook, Twitter and Instagram.